Section twenty seven of the Life of Mozart, Volume One by Otto Jahn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Mozart by Otto Jahn. Section twenty seven. Chapter thirteen. Part one. Fifteen choristers were maintained at the cost of the archbishop in the Capel House, and educated by special instructors. They afterwards entered the choir as singers or passed into the service of the court. If they showed extraordinary talent, they were sent to finish their training in Italy, and then took their place as solo singers. Archbishop Sigismund allowed the male sopranos to die out and did not replace them with others. On the other hand, he sent the daughter of the cathedral organist, Maria Magdalene Lipp, to be educated as a singer in Italy, and on her return in 1762 he appointed her court singer. She soon afterwards married Michael Hayden, lately arrived at Salzburg. In 1778, Hieronymus again took a male soprano into his service, Antonio Ceccarelli, a singer of moderate powers and bad moral character. The orchestra belonging to the choir was an ample one for the time, and was strengthened by a trumpet band for the support of the voices in the church. There were further two bands of six trumpets and drums, which did not properly belong to the court, but to the chamberlain's office, and which ranked between the equerries and the lackeys but no one was taken into this service who could not also, at need, strengthen the stringed instruments. In 1762, when Lully was Kapellmeister, and Leopold Mozart vice-Kapellmeister, John Michael Hayden, 1737 to 1806, the younger brother of Joseph, was appointed concertmeister and director of the orchestra on the recommendation of a nephew of Archbishop Sigismund, at Grossverdein, where Hayden had been Kapellmeister since 1757. The personal intercourse between the families of Hayden and Mozart was not overly friendly. Hayden was fond of sitting over a glass of beer or wine, which was all the more reprehensible in the sight of the temperate and conscientious Mozart, since it caused frequent neglect of duty. "'Who do you think,' he writes to Wolfgang, December ninth, 1777, "'is appointed organist at the Holy Trinity? Herr Hayden! Everyone laughs. He is an expensive organist. After every litany he drinks a quartern of wine.' and he sends Lip to the extra services, who drinks too. June ninth, 1778. This afternoon Hayden played the organ for the litany in the Te Deum, at which the archbishop was present, but so badly that we were all horrified. Hayden will drink himself to death soon, or at least being lazy enough already, he will become still lazier the older he gets. The conduct of Frau Hayden also must have been objectionable. Wolfgang writes mockingly to Bullinger, August seventh, 1778, it is quite true that Hayden's wife is ill. She has carried her rigors too far. There are few like her. I only wonder that she has not lost her voice long ago through her constant scourgings, wearing of sackcloth, prolonged fasts, and midnight prayers. Neither was Hayden's cultivation such as to cause Leopold Mozart to wish for nearer intercourse between the families. I should like to hear him speak Italian in Italy, he writes, December 4th, 1777. The people would certainly say, Questo è un vero tedesco. Personal difference and trifling jealousies, such as easily arise in small communities, may have had some influence on this unfavorable criticism of Michael Hayden. It did not extend, however, to his merits as an artist. It is true that Leopold Mozart was of opinion when Michael Hayden, in 1787, composed the opera Andromeda e Perseo, that he had no talent for dramatic music, and that his principal songs might have been written for a choir-boy. But he praised in strong terms the entracht music for Zaire which Hayden had composed in 1777, and analyzed it carefully, telling his son that the archbishop had done him the honor to say to him at table that he could not have believed Hayden capable of composing such music, and that instead of beer he should drink nothing but burgundy. 
Hayden received a reward of six Kronthaler, October 1st and October 9th, 1777, but when Leopold Mozart writes to his son, Herr Hayden is a man whose musical merits you will not deny, September 24th, 1778, he is referring to his church music, which Wolfgang was in the habit of copying for study. Writing from Vienna, he asks for small paper, Eberlin's counterpoint, bound in blue, in some of Hayden's things. And shortly after, March 12, 1783, the Tresunt, Monsieur Hayden's, is in score in my handwriting. He wanted these things for the Sunday performances at Van Sveeten's, and asked also for Michael Hayden's latest fugue. The Lauda Scion, he writes, March 12, 1783, was a great success. The fugue, In te domine speravi, was much admired, as also the Ave Maria in the Tenebre. Among Mozart's remains were found two fugues, Pinus Fiture Glorie, copied by his own hand from Michael Hayden's litanies. The cathedral organist, appointed in 1751, was Anton Cayetan Adelgasser, 1728-1777, a pupil of Eberlin, who had been sent by the archbishop to study in Italy, a first-rate organ player and accompanist, whose sacred compositions were afterwards performed and highly appreciated at Salzburg. Less remarkable was the second organist, Franz Ignatius Lipp, Hayden's father-in-law. The Kapellmeister and organist did not confine themselves to conducting performances of church music. They made it a point of honor to provide suitable music for special festival occasions. At such time, new compositions were considered indispensable. Indeed, throughout the year, a constant variety of music was sought to be provided. This activity in church music was of the greatest service to young composers, who never wanted an opportunity for bringing out new compositions, nor for learning by hearing and comparing. It was not the less beneficial in the way of training that they were obliged to keep within the limits of certain clearly defined forms, and to be content with the often scanty means which they found ready to hand. Through the influence of transmitted customs and individual peculiarities, as well as the taste of those in authority, local traditions grew up, whose narrow rules hindered freedom of development. Such control is most irksome in church matters, wherein all, even what is in itself unimportant, must be considered as partaking of the sanctity of the whole. The counterbalancing gain of such training is technical finish, the indispensable foundation for the development of genius, with which alone can any effort to break loose from what is false in tradition be successful. Mozart found the rules and forms of church music as clearly defined as those of the opera. Both had been formed in the Neapolitan school, and the impulses given up each had been in the same direction. The turning point was the introduction of melodies which had their own significance as expressions of emotion, without regard to their harmonic or contrapuntal treatment. No sooner had melody gained recognition in opera and cantata as the natural and legitimate form of musical expression, than it made a way for itself into the church by means of oratorio. The simple grandeur of the older church music, particularly that of the Roman school, with palestrina as its representative, depended chiefly on the fact that the chorus of voices was treated as an organic whole, of which no one part could be recognized as a distinct entity apart from the rest. The impression made by such music resembles that of the sea. Wave follows upon wave, and each one seems to be like the last. Yet underlying the apparent monotony, there exists an ever-varied life, an invincible strength manifesting itself alike in peaceful calm and raging storm, and filling the mind with a sense of sublimity and grandeur, without satiety and without fatigue. But so soon as one melody was distinguished above the rest, the union and equality of the voices was disturbed. Separate voices became more or less prominent as occasion required, and it could not fail to follow that the other voices should be employed merely to fill up and support the principal melody. A certain amount of independence and character might indeed be given to the accompanying voices by skilful management, but the principle remains unaltered, so long as a melody and its accompaniment are in question. 
the change became more marked when instrumental music gained admission into the church at first the organ and trumpets were employed merely to support and strengthen the voices but when stringed instruments and by degrees the various wind instruments of the orchestra came into use in churches they gradually adopted in church music as in secular the part of accompaniment to the voices this tendency was most apparent of course in solo singing but a manner of orchestral accompaniment to the choruses was gradually elaborated which could not fail to influence the treatment of the voice parts the use of the severest contrapuntal method had hitherto been considered an essential condition in embellishment of church music but on this point also an alteration of opinion and taste gained gradual ground the perfection of contrapuntal treatment consisting in the absolute freedom and independence of the several parts with their due correlation can only be obtained by strict obedience to well-defined laws added to which must be a firm conception of some fundamental idea whose many-sided development shall give unity and cohesion to the whole work this form of composition is therefore peculiarly appropriate to the delivery of serious and weighty ideas it is however but a form and can be endued with life and significance only by the matter which it contains and by the spirit which animates it in old times the madrigals served to illustrate contrapuntal forms in secular music and even in the present day canons and fugues sometimes with comic effect sometimes giving expression to very varied emotions are often so skilfully constructed that the uninitiated have no suspicion of the artistic learning with the effect of which they are charmed although counterpoint is in itself neither spiritual nor ecclesiastical it is conceivable that in proportion as secular music freed itself from the trammels the error should arise of imagining severity of form and structure to be peculiarly appropriate to church music this identification of counterpoint with ecclesiastical ideas caused its development to proceed side by side with those other forms which had made good their footing in church music the opposition which was felt to exist between severe methods and methods not severe led to a compromise certain parts of the liturgical text were treated contrapuntally and others freely their proportions depended greatly on personal and local influences but the main points of the division were decided by the neapolitan school the moral tendency of this change of construction must not be overlooked the free treatment of melody gave to subjective emotion with its ever-varying alternations a suitable method of musical expression and an art which was developing in this direction must have had extraordinary influence the effort to make church music subject to this influence was the necessary consequence of a newly awakened life and art the musician felt himself impelled to represent religious emotion in its full strength and truth and with all the means at his command the liturgy called forth the expression of the liveliest and most passionate emotion it offered opportunities for representing the most vivid dramatic situations even the glory of worship called on its votaries to bring the splendor of music as well as of painting and sculpture into the divine service but the direction taken by the intellectual progress of that time especially in italy was fraught with the dangers which invariably threaten an art which is struggling to free itself from tradition the church was tolerant towards the aspirations of art so long as they afforded an effective means for her glorification but she sternly repressed any efforts to break loose from the fetters of her ordinances and customs on the other hand men rejoiced in what had been so easily and rapidly gained and satisfied themselves with the superficial freedom which they had attained proportionally was the development of a formalism in accordance with the italian character which seeks for beauty always in set forms and demanded the adoption of such forms by church music the opera was the model thence sprang the moral and artistic element which became manifest in the forms of church music appealing not so much to the faith of the congregation as to the taste of musical connoisseurs any attempt to transport operatic forms directly into church music was forbidden by the liturgical form of divine service to which the music must be subordinate but the connection was severed with the old church modes from which ancient church music borrowed its subjects treating them after a long since obsolete tone system 
in the merely devotional musical symbolism was renounced for the freedom of original creation. For though subjects were borrowed in later times from the old church modes, they lost their significance when detached, and were, besides, treated according to the new lights. Finally, the sway of the singer was mighty in church music as elsewhere. The habit of delighting in the finished performances of the vocalist was united with the idea that he who could most fully satisfy the prevailing taste was also the most worthy to serve the Most High and to exalt the glory of worship. We shall therefore find the church music of the latter half of the eighteenth century, composed of the same materials as operatic music, and exercising much the same effect. The same influence which had been won by Italian operatic music in Germany penetrated to the churches of Catholic Germany and attained to complete sovereignty. But there was a difference, important, though not at the time generally or consciously felt. The conception and mode of expression of Italian church music was, although secularized, yet in its essence national and in its appeals to religious emotion it might count upon universal comprehension and sympathy but transplanted to germany both the ideas and their mode of execution were strange and could only be adopted after a preliminary artistic training what in italy had grown up in the course of national development was transmitted to germany as mere form the delicate sense of beauty and of grace the excitable passionate nature of the italians could not be transplanted and the external adjuncts were even more superficially treated than on the soil from which they sprang. Contrapuntal work, especially the fugue, was haunted by the school traditions of church usages, which conduced to a spiritless formalism of routine. Thus carelessness and pedantry, superficiality and dullness were combined, and church music declined more rapidly and visibly than the opera. The difference between the true essence and its extinct form is the more apparent and significant the deeper it lies, and to this must be added the fact that the continuous demand for church music gave rise to the production of a mass of inferior work, from which the opera was preserved in deference to the taste of the public. Under these circumstances it was impossible even for a surpassing genius to do more than distinguish himself in some particulars. The efforts of an individual, after thorough-going reform, could only be successful, supported by the spirit of the age and of the nation. This general position held by church music was modified in different regions by local peculiarities of the liturgy, and by the tastes of church authorities, and by the differences in the musical forces at command. The peculiar circumstances under which Mozart wrote in Salzburg are described by himself in a letter to Padre Martini, September 4, 1776. I live in a place where music prospers but little, although we have some good musicians, and some especially good composers, of thorough knowledge and taste. The theatre suffers for want of singers. We have few male sopranos, and are not likely to have more, for they require high pay, and over-liberality is not our weak point. I busy myself with writing church and chamber music, and we have two capital contrapuntists, Hayden and Algasser. My father is Kapellmeister at the Metropolitan Church, which gives me the opportunity of writing as much as I like for the church. But as my father has been thirty-six years in the service of the court, and knows that the archbishop does not care to have people of an advanced age about him, he takes things quietly and devotes himself chiefly to literature, which has always been his favorite study. Our church music differs widely and increasingly from that of Italy. A mass, with Kiri, Gloria, Credo, the Sonata at the Epistle, the Offertorium or Motet, Sanctus and Agnus Dei, must not last longer than three-quarters of an hour, even on festivals when the archbishop himself officiates. This kind of composition requires special study. And yet the mass must have all the instruments, trumpets, drums, etc., Ah, if we were not so far from each other, how much I should have to tell you. We have further information on the arrangements made for church music in the cathedral. The cathedral contains a large organ at the back of the entrance, four side organs in front of the choir, and a little choir organ below the choir where the choristers sit. The large organ is only used on grand occasions and for preludes, 
during the performance, one of the four side organs is played, generally that next to the altar on the right side, where the solo singers and basses are. Opposite, by the left side organ, are the violinists, etc., and on the two other sides are two choruses of trumpets and drums. The lower choir organ and double bass join in when required. Among Mozart's compositions for the church, his masses, by reason of their importance and divine service, take the first place. In the divisions of the several parts, we find him following in the beaten track of the Neapolitan school. The different parts of the text coincide with the prescribed pauses made by the officiating priest, but are very differently worked out. Where the composer has free scope, the separate sections are usually treated as independent pieces, with regular alternations of solo and chorus. But such elaborate masses were only performed on solemn occasions, misa solemnis, or through the preference of an influential personage. They took up too much time for the regular service. In the short mass, misa brevis, the larger divisions were treated in the main as a connected musical movement, of which the separate sections were detached indeed, but not independent of each other. The degree of connection is, of course, very varied. The thrice-repeated cry, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison, is regularly developed into a lengthy movement. It was formerly the custom to prefix a short, slow, and solemn movement on the words Kyrie eleison to an agitated, more elaborate one. Kershaw numbers 49, 65, and 66. But afterwards the whole became one movement. The prayer for the mercy of God is animated, and though devoid of depth, never sinks to mere trifling. A more serious mood is generally indicated by the severe contrapuntal treatment of the voices. Kershaw numbers 192, 194, and 262. The words Christe eleison are regularly accentuated, usually with an expression of beseeching melancholy, and often by solo voices. The solo voices and choruses generally alternate in the Kyrie. End of section 27, chapter 13, part 1.